0: It's Halloween, and Catholics everywhere are dressing up their children as little saints as they struggle with whether they should or should not participate in the festivities. Now, I am not one to say that we should do Halloween, but I am also not going to say that you shouldn't. After all, it's not like we're celebrating Halloween. There's nothing to celebrate. It's just an opportunity for free candy, I don't think that dressing up is a huge problem, granted that we're not being immoral or disrespectful. And we should teach our kids about All Saints Day and All Souls Day. It's a bit harder in Canada where these are not holy days of obligation. But there is a Catholic tradition of remembering the dead. Just ask any Mexican near you. And also the idea of remembering that one day we will all die. Memento mori. As Catholics, we should not fear death and we should not fear free candy either. So, this Halloween, dress up if you want to, go out with your kids if you want, don't overdo it, don't be selfish and greedy, don't do anything silly or illegal, and then be sure to remember all those who've died before us, our relatives and friends, and all the community of saints that are our community in heaven. It's a good opportunity to focus not on death, but on heaven, where we long to go. Don't be afraid of heaven. And didn't I mention? Don't be afraid of free candy. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this is the Salt and Light Hour. Hello, I'm Deacon Pedro, and welcome to another all-new Salt and Light Hour. Today on the program, I speak with Gabriel Chow, who covered the Synod of Bishops in Chinese. This was Gabriel's first experience covering an event in Rome, so I'm really looking forward to speaking with him. After that, Sister Marie Paul Curley returns to talk about a couple movies that are out on DVD. That's in about 15 minutes, and at the end of our first half, on Connect 5, Sebastian Gomes speaks with ABC's chief news anchor, George Stephanopoulos. In our second half hour, we'll be joined by Andy Bannister, who just wrote a book titled The Atheist Who Didn't Exist that clears away all the bad arguments that try to explain why people don't believe in God. I love having these kinds of conversations with atheists, and so I'm looking forward to speaking with Andy Bannister. And after that, we'll be meeting singer-songwriter Ed Balduck. Ed is the composer of the popular New Mass setting, The Mass of St. Anne, published by World Library Publications. Let's start with one of his songs. Here's Ed Balduck with Awake to the Day from his album of the same name.
1: Awake to the day of the coming of the Lord Sing out, rejoice in this land Make straight the way, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Signs in the sun and the moon and the star, be
2: prepared
1: for and all shall sing of the power of Son shall remain So the name of don't mm-hmm.
0: Was Ed Baldock with the title track of his album "Awake to the Day," and we're going to be speaking with Ed Baldock at the end of the program. And in about ten minutes, "Windows to the Soul" with Sister Marie Paul Curley. She has two films that she's going to review. But first, as you know, the Synod of Bishops uh, concluded last week, last weekend. Um, But this Synod was probably the most watched by media from around the world. And to my knowledge, it's the second time that it got special attention from Chinese Catholic media. Um, I'm sure that we have lots of Chinese Catholics that are listening to this program. Um, so I'm very excited that joining me now um, for his insights on the Synod is Salt and Light producer Gabriel Chow. Um, Gabriel was covering the Synod in Chinese for Salt and Light television. Gabriel, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour.
3: Thank you, Deacon a Rachel, for having me.
0: So this was your first time in Rome? Actually,
3: this is, yeah, yeah, this is uh, actually my eleventh time in Rome. Yeah, but when you but go of to Rome for the first time, yeah, working covering like uh, for the Senate, yes. especially Yeah. So, so, so,
0: uh, b- before I ask you specific things, what what's your general impression of, um, other than the eighteen-hour days and <laughs> not sleeping? <laughs> you knew that. And, yeah, exactly. <laughs>
3: um, what was your uh, what what what? Do you, how do you feel? What What was the experience like? Wow. First of all it was um the center was three weeks long. Yes. And we had to go there a week in advance. Mm-hmm. So before I went actually I wasn't eager to go. Just because I'm a person who would be homesick after maybe <laughs> ten days or so, yes. like in a foreign country. So yes. I, I was really afraid myself but after we arrived there we basically worked non-stop every day yes so there was no time for homesick at all No. <laughs> good so what kind of what was a, a regular day for you like yeah so after the senate started every day we would attend the uh, the two um meetings of the bishops mm-hmm. where the bishops would uh, intervene and give their speech yes and uh, in the in the in the afternoon uh, in between the two sessions um, this is the time for the siesta for the bishops yes. but for us we have to work extra hard because there was the press con and then we had to after the press con then we would probably have to do some stand-ups uh, we have to right. write our scripts as well so it was a really hectic time for us especially in the afternoon yes so you were doing daily reports yeah, we were. I was trying to do daily reporting in the first week. Yes. Um. Afterwards, we felt that it was too much for like not only me but for all the other producers and also for uh, editors in Toronto. So we decided that we would have uh, the show once every two days. Right. So it turns out that it that worked out much better. So you're you're covering it in Chinese. And I, and I know there might be some
0: listeners that they don't really appreciate that we say Chinese, but that's there's more than just one <laughs> language. So
3: you're doing Cantonese or Mandarin. I'm or I'm a Hong Konger, so I'm I'm doing mainly in Cantonese. Uh-huh. But um, I was able to get uh, interviews in Mandarin as well from yes. bishops um, who were there who could speak Chinese. So
0: you're basically trying to do it's two languages. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> um, and and. And it's not just for people, Chinese people in Canada or Chinese people in the States. I mean, there are Chinese people everywhere. Many are Catholic. So how do you
3: how do you know what to cover and what not to cover? Well, every day there was a lot to cover, basically. So we would um, talk about what happens during the day. And we would give them a sense of what is to be coming yeah. That's why in, the, in the next two days or so. So by just talking about that, like it was... Five to ten minutes already. Yeah, yeah. And uh, also in our daily shows, we would also have interviews with bishops. Yes. Because interviewing bishops was one of our main tasks. Right. So at the coffee break in the morning every day, what we do is that uh, we'll ask bishops to come to our cameras mm-hmm. and uh, do just a short interview. The interview is put on the Vatican website. Okay. And so Knight will also use those interviews in our daily shows right. as well. Now, were you only interviewing bishops who could speak Chinese, or you're doing other languages and then translating? Well, there were actually only two bishops who could uh-huh. speak Chinese. Yeah, 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 So, of course, I tried to get as many bishops as possible. But for my, um, my mission that I gave myself, yeah. I would try to reach out to um, bishops from Asia. Okay. So I was able to get like many uh, Asian bishops from mm-hmm. different countries in Asia to uh, to be interviewed by me. Yeah. So I was really happy about it.
0: Right. Um, what would you say? Because it's obviously the bishop. Sorry, the synod on the family. What are some issues that are that are family issues that are specific to maybe? And again, it's not fair to say to the Chinese community because there's Chinese people everywhere. But maybe let's say mainland China. What would be an issue that would be? concerning to people in China about the family
3: well of course for China I think um, raising up children it's uh, one of the difficult issues well not because only of economic issues but you know of the one child policy in China right so there are always complications and uh, people have to make very difficult choice if they have a second baby do Mm -hmm. they abort the baby do they have to pay a lot just to keep the baby alive Yes, you know Um, but also, I think not only in China, but um, in other countries as well, like the problem of remarried people, uh-huh. uh, it's serious, you know, yes. like in different parts of the world, in Hong Kong, in Taiwan, and so on. Yeah. Um, so people are concerned about how the church will, will cater to those people who are mm-hmm. re- remarried. Mm-hmm. Um, let me ask you about the chi- one-child policy
0: because it's been changed. Yeah, this week. So uh, tell me, because that's news. I guess that's new news. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe as a Catholic, how do you how do you respond to the news that the China has lifted? Correct me if I'm wrong. They've lifted the one, or they've extended the the, the 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 allowance to have two children to everybody now. That's right.
3: So it's a two-child policy. So I or is that only if the first child is a daughter? Mm, I, I'm I haven't I'm not read sure. too much into it. Yes, but as far as I can tell, this is a definitely a positive. Yes development, right? Because in the past you can only have one child and if you have a second child you usually have to go through back doors in order to keep the child Yes, um, which creates a lot of problems. Um, but uh, I think China realizes that it needs its population to grow. Yeah, like People nowadays are not having children anymore uh, for different reasons and uh, they know that having children is a good thing for China to have. So and they naturally have to open this up. Yeah, interesting.
0: Um, what do you think is the most significant thing that came out of the Synod?
3: Well, for me, I think um, they they talk about a wide variety of family situations mm-hmm. that need the uh, the care from the church. Mm-hmm. Um, not only for remarried or people who are of homosexual. Orientation, but Mm -hmm. like they talk about like people like uh, single parents, um, widows, for Mm -hmm. instance, um, and people who are in uh, economic troubles. So I think it is good to have such a wide um, expanded the 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 horizon to Mm -hmm. uh, to to families who are really in need. Yeah, the remarried are not the only people that that are needed to, to be to be cared for. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really glad that ch- the church is now considering how to provide her pastoral care to all families. Right. Indeed. Okay, maybe just in closing, what is
0: the one thing that that you're going to remember forever that really made an impression on you from doing
3: this work in Rome? For myself, when I interacted with the Asian bishops, mm-hmm. I was able to talk to them like um, very casually and talk to them about their situations in the countries, and we I feel that we have made good friendship there. So this is, for me, the most significant thing. And And I'm really grateful for this uh, opportunity to be at the Synod. Absolutely. No, you're right. Most people don't have a chance to
0: even ever see a bishop, let alone speak to a bishop. So um, we're very blessed in what we do here. And now you have those relationships. You'll continue to do your work. um, As I'm sure you'll return to do other fun events (laughs) around the world. Thank you so much for sharing it with us today, Gabriel. Thank you, Dick and Pedro. That was our Chinese language producer, Gabriel Chow. You can tune in to all our Salt and Light Chinese programming on demand at saltandlighttv.org. I would say the website in Chinese, but I can't. Um, uh, But I'm sure you can find it. And also for all our Synod coverage, uh, you can go to saltandlighttv.org slash synod.
4: Hi, my name is Noel Garcia, and you're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro.
0: My name is Deacon Pedro. You can find me on Facebook. Just look for Deacon Pedro. It's very easy. And be sure to like my page. And now it's time for... Windows to the Soul with Sister Marie Paul Curley. Sister, welcome back to the program. New season.
4: Thank you so much, Deacon Pedro. It's great to be here. You had a good summer? did. Busy and and wonderful. Uh, Less movie oriented than I wanted, though. I didn't catch quite as many films as I would have liked. But... (laughs) However, I had tried to catch some of the... Christian films that have or faith-based films that have okay. come out over the past year because there's actually quite a few and there's a few more slated before the end of the year. Yes. Uh, what What have you seen and where do you think Christian films stand now that there are you know a few small studios yeah. that are actually really trying to produce? Yeah, there are. Films?
0: I find I find the whole thing very exciting because I know where we were five years ago, maybe. You know, where some of these Christian films were starting and, and and some of them great intentions, but a little painful to watch um, and how they've improved greatly. I haven't seen anything new. I saw I think 90 Minutes in Heaven was the last one I saw, but I didn't get a chance to see like the song or or even the one that you reviewed last about the couple that that, that meets that he's a believer and she's not, I can't remember old fashioned. fashioned. I didn't get to see it. That's one I wanted to see. Um, But I am, if you ask me in general, what I think I am very excited because there's so much potential uh, of just good storytelling. And, and uh, yes, I mean, not to mention all the blockbusters like Exodus and those, which I, I'm not crazy about, but I, I love the idea that, that they're being made.
4: Yeah, exactly. And I think that, You know, we have come a long way in the past five or ten years where if somebody produced a film that was Christian, you'd kind of cringe. Yes. Um, You know, and even now, many Christian-themed films really still struggle um, to meet the level of artistry that, like, a typical commercial film makes. Never mind great artistry, because that's, you know, making a great film, a great work of art, is really hard. Yes. What I think is even harder, and and you can appreciate this also, um, is that it's hard to make a great film about faith because faith is a spiritual reality that's hard to show in yes. pictures yes. and in story. It's true. Uh, the Bible does a great job, uh, but there is, but you know, when we read the Bible, it's when we deepen that story, when we listen to the Spirit speaking to us, that mm-hmm. we discover, you know, our journey of faith there. So, what um, I have to say, I do also find it encouraging that there are a number of Christian-themed films being made, and and a definitely an upswing this year as well. And yeah. the filmmakers are getting better. So yes. Today, I'd like to look briefly at two similar films produced oh. by the same studio called Pure Flix, uh-huh. who who produced God's Not Dead last year, which was a, right. a, a big success in the box office um, in terms of, I mean, it wasn't a huge success, but it actually made a really good profit last year. And so they've, they've been able, I believe, to produce and distribute a number of films this year. And though I wouldn't say either of the films is great art, you know, they're not great. But they aren't terrible either. They're, they're somewhat preachy, but they can still inspire.
2: Right.
4: Uh, the first film uh, is, was released on DVD in August, and it's called Do You Believe? And it begins with the story of a Christian pastor who's, who's driving around town. He just dropped off, an elderly couple, who happens to run into a street corner preacher who's uh, dragging a cross through the city streets asking, Do you believe in the cross of Christ? And uh, the pastor rolls down his window and he says, yeah, I'm a pastor. And the street preacher replies, well, you know, if you believe, what are you going to do about it? And the encounter uh, really touches the pastor quite deeply. And he brings this question to his congregation. And through his, you know, questioning of the depth of his own faith and raising that question with his congregation, 12 people's lives are changed, you know, over the next hour and a half you know mm-hmm. this is the film is very challenged artistically because it 's very ambitious it 's trying to do multiple storylines with lots of characters in crisis really there 's like a dozen people that you 're really following their stories and and some of the storylines are, are really dramatic there 's an EMT who um, uh, gets to an accident scene and a man is dying and he speaks to him about Jesus and after the man dies uh, he gets sued for doing that
2: right. you know that
4: he shouldn 't have talked about the Lord when this man was dying and comforted him in that way. Um, There's a runaway pregnant teen. There's a soldier who's suffering from PTSD. There's a young woman so desperate for connection that she contemplates suicide. And, you know, the end of the film, they try, the filmmakers try to intertwine a resolution of most of the major storylines. So it's really hard to pull off a great film like that. I mean, only really great filmmakers can do that well. Right. I think of Crash, you know, written and directed by Paul Haggis. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's a bunch of other good ones, but there's also a couple, a bunch of other really, they don't work well. However, I would say this, and do you believe the crises of the characters really ring true? It's just the resolution of their problems are a bit too convenient and you know, the way everything's kind of contrived at the end. It, it gets a little bit much to be credible. But the acting in this film is really cool. Um, we've got Delroy, Delroy Lindo, who actually does a tiny, tiny role of the street preacher at the beginning, and he's like my favorite character. Yeah. But then you've got Sean Astin and M- Mira Sorvino yeah. and other actors who really do a wonderful job of portraying very vulnerable and wounded human beings. Hmm. So it's got a powerful message in that the Cross of Christ isn't just to believe, but it's to make a difference in our lives. So, it's it's got some mature themes. It's rated PG-13, and I would definitely hold out for, you know, older than 13, even older teens watching it because of not because it's anything's problematic, but just because to appreciate the content, it needs a bit of an older audience in terms of right. um, majors. The second film is, is rather similar in that it also works over all but has some artistic issues. Faith of Our Fathers, which just released to DVD uh, two weeks ago, is primarily a road trip film uh-huh. that has a, paraful, uh, a parallel story uh, with the fathers of the two characters going on a road trip who were soldiers in Vietnam and didn't return from the war. Okay. So it's kind of cool because you've got these two young men, who find each other. One of them wants to find out more about his dad. He knows nothing about his dad. So he goes and hunts down the friend of his father, who he did, he doesn't know that he also died in the war, and runs into his son, who is really not very helpful, but who has letters from his own father that mention, you know, the first guy's dad. And so and he's willing to share them for a price. It's like five hundred dollars a letter. So um, so then they go on this road trip to discover more about their fathers at, you know, from Mississippi to the Vietnam Veterans Memorial right. in Washington, D.C. And um, while the road trip was, it was hard to watch in some ways because it was hard to believe some of the acting um, and some of the coincidences, at the same time, the, the way the two stories were paralleled really had a lot of potential because in, in both stories, one of the characters introduces Faith to the others. And, uh, you know, so it's both, I would say, you know, this is also rated PG-13, especially for the war violence, but it's a more accessible film, I think. So younger teens could definitely watch it with right. their family. Okay. So, you know, they're preaching in places, but both of them have some genuine moments. Uh, they are definitely directed to the Christian believer. I think that's the audience that would right. have patience uh, with them. But they are, you know, there are moments that really inspire. I mean, I really, I walked away with that street preacher scene in my head. Uh It inspired me. Um, So, you know, it's good to fill our minds and hearts with good stories. Yes. Uh, They're not perfect. Yeah. Even though we want to keep making better and better movies, because the Christian message about Christ deserves the absolute best. Absolutely. Uh, You know, we're... You know, they're they're on the way. They're, the films are improving little by little.
0: Absolutely. Okay, good. So that's Faith of Our Fathers. And do you believe both films should be out? They're probably out on Netflix or on demand or on DVD. I don't know if anybody uses DVDs anymore. But yes. they're out there so people can find them. Um, and uh, and uh, maybe they can uh, tell us what they think. That'd be great. Great. Sister Marie Paul, thank you very much.
4: Thank you, too, Deacon Pedro.
0: Sister Marie Paul Curly is with the Congregation of the Daughters of St. Paul, and you can read her blog at windows to the soul.wordpress.com. You can also follow her at Sister M Paul. Hi, this is Matthew. This is Michael Paul Leon, and we are Wall. You are listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. How are you going to spend the next five minutes of your time? How about listening in, meeting a fascinating person, and learning something relevant that will broaden your perspective? Sit down with Sebastian Gomes and go straight to the heart of the matter. Here's Connect 5. Today, Sebastian speaks with George Stephanopoulos, chief news anchor for ABC. They discuss Pope Francis' visit to the USA. As a media person, someone who covers the news, who brings people the news, how do you decide what to cover with a person and a figure like Pope Francis, and what not necessarily to cover.
5: Oh, that's a good question. I mean, um, you know, we we speak obviously to more than Catholics, right. so there there are certain day to day issues that we're not going to bring to a broader audience. But when when he when he makes bold statements or or acts in a way that people recognize as as meaningful, different, as sending a, a message, we cover. You know. Uh, we all uh, covered that moment. I guess in, in his first year as pope, when he he had that extraordinary interview. We talked about who am I, the man, Who am I as a pope uh, to judge? And looked at that from several different angles and got a sense of what it meant. You know, when when the pope kneels down and washes the feet of convicts and uh, and, and homeless people and reaches out in that way, it's something that we've we found newsworthy as well, again, because it's such an extraordinary uh, gesture from such a powerful uh, person when he steps into world uh, and political events. Uh, And we we paid a great deal of attention to his intervention and and the, the helpful role he played in helping broker a deal between the United States and Cuba for normalizing relations. There's no shortage. Uh, of things the Pope offers us uh, to cover. And in some ways he's been the most, um, like Pope John Paul II, I think more than Benedict, who's more of a remote figure, was a, is a man who's got a common, but even a theatrical touch, which I think becomes a magnet uh, to journalists, especially television journalists.
0: How would you evaluate the media's coverage of Pope Francis? Like if you look at it objectively and maybe speaking specifically from an American context, uh, how do you think it's gone? I mean, do you think it's an accurate depiction
5: of generally? I hope what he's so. Doing? I mean, I hope the Vatican believes thinks so. It's <laughs> so kind of a little more important. You know, we do the best we can. We know we're not going to get everything right. I know there's been a, a fair amount of commentary about um, some concern. I think among those in the Catholic Church who think that we sometimes overplay the gestures in a way that suggests that the Pope is changing doctrine church doctrine in a way that he's not. And I think we have to be careful and sensitive uh, uh, about that. But, you know, we also know that the Pope, because of his unique position, um, ends up being a figure who's, who's important and interesting to people who may not be Catholic, may be lapsed Catholics, may have no faith at all. And we try to cover uh, how his words and deeds affect them as well.
0: What kind of feedback do you get from viewers or audience about the kinds of stories that you cover or if you tell you tell? I can tell you it's, it's, hard,
5: it's hard to know exactly and there's no exact science to this, but uh, you know, we've covered Pope Francis pretty extensively and whenever we do it, we get a, um, we know the audience doesn't turn away. We, 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 we know it sticks and we, we, we can tell that and I'm expecting, that's why you know, we're, we're putting such extensive preparation into coverage of the Pope's trip to the United States later this year because we do believe it's something that our audience really wants to hear about.
0: That was Sebastian Gomes speaking with George Stephanopoulos of ABC News. You can watch this and more interviews at saltandlighttv.org slash connect5 and also on our Roku channel. Coming up in our second half hour, the atheist that didn't exist and we meet singer-songwriter Ed Balduck. So stay tuned. Hello and welcome to the Salt and Light Hour Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. According to research, the number of atheists is on the increase. Now, honestly, I don't know if this is totally true. I guess researchers know what they're doing. But I do know that there are some people for whom being atheist is maybe trendy. There's even a new term, new atheists, that has been popularized by people like Richard Dawkins and Christopher Hitchens. But more importantly... How do you respond to those arguments that people use to counter the idea that there is a God? There's a new book now that claims that most of those arguments are really bad arguments and that, with a little thought, it's actually not that hard to do away with all those bad arguments. The book is called The Atheist Who Didn't Exist. And to tell us more, I am joined by the author, Andy Bannister. Andy, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour.
6: Thanks for having me on the show. Great to be with you.
0: Yes, I, I I was telling you earlier. I I very. I mean, I love having these conversations with people and these arguments. So I love the book, and I love how you approached the topic. Now you say that that this this new atheism relies mm. mostly on poor arguments and cheap sound bites. Why? Yeah, that's right. What, what, well, I think. Yeah.
6: But yeah. Sorry, I was going to say. That I think for a number of reasons, but one of them is that we live in the age of Twitter. And uh, and social media has really brought in this whole kind of culture of argument by soundbite. Uh, Sadly, Christians were not immune from it Mm -hmm. either. You know, we think all we have to say is sort of Jesus saves, and that's the end of the conversation. Yes. Um, And our atheist friends are not immune from this. And so, of course, if you can write a clever soundbite, it sounds great on Twitter. It it circulates around the culture, but it's often meaningless. I mean, it's all very well to say that belief in God is like belief in Father Christmas, as, as Dawkins has sort of said. sounds very clever. It's not really an argument, and it doesn't really work when you dig into it.
0: Right. So you're saying that these these uh, and if you, you I guess the example of Twitter, 140 characters, they it might sound great, but it doesn't really uh, inspire much. There's no depth. It doesn't invite much thought. Like people just accept no. it and they don't think about it.
6: That's exactly right. And I think one of the things that I began to notice is that going on in the wider culture, you've often got this sort of You know, sort of massively encamped positions on either side. You've got atheists flinging sound bites at Christians. You've got, you know, Christians who are good at this stuff flinging sound bites back again. And I began to realize, you know, I meet a lot of people who don't have a faith in God, but are actually open to a more Serious conversation, but just don't know where to look. Right, and so I think one of the things I wanted to do in the book was sort of you know dismantle some of the atheist sound bites, and then really say to the reader, look, but, uh, you know, this by all means be an atheist. And of course, I'd rather you weren't, but sure, yeah. you know, by all means be one. But if you're going to be an atheist, do at least be a thought through one. Yes, and somebody who's actually thought about the issues, not somebody who just flings clever sound bites around because they sound good.
0: Right, absolutely, be a thoughtful atheist. Um, so, so I wanted to ask you uh, about the, uh, some examples, and I'm, I'm thinking that because I know we had it here in Toronto as well, the, the bus or the buses or the streetcars with the sign. Um, that's right. There's probably no God. Stop worrying and enjoy your life. I think you might have had it in London, England as well, and other places in the states. Um, mm. Is that? Can you use that as an example to show how that's a bad yeah. argument? Very much so.
6: I mean, I think. That, in a sense, uh, you know, beautifully illustrates what's, what's going on. There's probably no gods. to stop worrying and enjoy your life. Sounds really clever on yes. the side of a, of a buff. Yes. But um, when you poke at it, you discover it unravels a little bit. It does it in a couple of ways. The first thing I say, and I actually talk about this in, in chapter one of the book. Yes. First problem with it, of course, is I'm not sure what exactly is the connection between the non-existence of something... And any emotional state. You know, unless you're somebody who lies awake at night, worrying there might be a God, which doesn't describe many atheists, in right. my opinion. Yeah. Uh, you know, if God doesn't exist, it's meaningless. I mean, the Loch Ness Monster doesn't exist. The Abominable Snowman doesn't exist. What difference does that make? Right. Particularly, what difference does it make if you're down on your luck and life is going really bad? You know, you've lost your job, your wife has walked out on you, uh, you've just been diagnosed with a terrible health condition, you're a Maple Leafs fan, you know, <laughs> everything is not particularly positive. Yes. What possible difference to your Sorry, existence does the non existence of God make. I don't know why you would stop worrying just because there was no God, problem one. And the other problem, of course, with that slogan is the way it zeroes in in on enjoy your life. And I say in the book, of course, you know, that's a very shallow view of life. Life is about much more than enjoyment. The only things in this world that are designed to be enjoyed and just enjoyed are products, you know, Uh a donut or a coffee or perhaps an iPhone, that kind of thing. But your life is not a product. And human life and human fulfillment is about so much more than enjoyment. And so that bus slogan represents this really, really thin view of what human life is all about. Quite frankly,
0: absolutely. So that's yeah. So that's a good example of how yeah. The, these you might people might accept it and not think about it. And all you, I guess, not to to diminish what you're doing because I love what you're doing. Is that you're you're inviting people to think about it. And you're saying if if people if pe- I mean I don't want people I want people to buy your book, but if they don't. You, can they come up with some of these arguments, these counter arguments, on their own if they're if they actually think about what they're reading? Yeah,
6: it's tempting to say no. You have to buy my book because that makes publishers very happy. But <laughs> buy Andy's yeah. book. What can, yes. What you can learn to do, um, I think, um, is one of the things I say when I when I talk to Christian audiences, particularly, is if we learn to ask questions about the things that we see. Yeah. Um, you know, often we see something like a slogan or we hear an atheist argument and we immediately start thinking, we just do one of two things. We had a panic. Yeah. We think, oh gosh, what do I say? Or we start thinking, you know, how do I sort of download some really complicated, long-winded answer? But if you can learn to ask questions uh, and two questions, I think that every Christian should keep in his or her back pockets are, are these two. You know, what do you mean by that? And what's your evidence? For that, yeah. So if somebody says to you, you know, there's probably no goal to stop worrying and enjoy your life, you know, to look at your friend and simply say, that's really interesting. What do you mean by that? Because that will force them to begin unpacking it. What do you mean yes. stop worrying? You know, what do you mean enjoy your life? And then say, secondly, what's the evidence for that? So if somebody says to you, you know, belief in God is like belief in Father Christmas, just to go, it's a really interesting, really interesting idea. Tell me, what, you know, what's your evidence for that? What led you to that conclusion? Right. And simply exploring those two questions. What do you mean by that? What's your evidence for that? That can get you huge distances in in conversations about faith uh, with yeah. your friends. Learn to ask really good questions. Jesus does this in the Gospels, yes, uh, all the time. You know, read the Gospels through and notice how many times he responds to a question with, with a question. question. We need yeah. to learn the power of good questions.
0: Yeah. Well, Jesus, you know, he he had some good stuff. Um, he did do, Yeah. <laughs> so that's that's good advice. So so to ask, what do you mean by that? And then, or ask, what evidence do you have for that? Um, yes. Why do you think? why do you think that so many people maybe i don't know i in my experience is not so many people but maybe there are so many people that that they decide that they're atheists do you think that it's because they they're just not thoughtful
6: i think you know to be honest there are, there are a number of reasons um sometimes uh more often than than I would like. I meet people who, when you dig into the reasons for their atheism, it's a bad experience with Christians with the or the church, church. Yes, yes. and I think I think those of us who love Christ need to take that very, very seriously. Yes. When the church goes badly wrong, it can have devastating consequences. Mm-hmm. Um, now, interestingly, of course, that's a pastoral issue, not an intellectual issue, yes. and if you hear somebody who's got one of those stories, you know, listen to them. Sympathise with them, weep with them, but gently point out that's not our argument against God. It's just an argument for the for the lunacy of some of his people occasionally. Yes, yes. Uh, and then I think flowing from that as well, I think I think some atheists I meet have kind of given up on the whole idea of organised religion. There's a sort of sense that you know religion has caused so much problems in the world. Um, often people lump religion together. So you know, we look at say perhaps Islamic extremism and people assume well that you know the problems there apply to all religion. Mm-hmm. And so there's a kind of sort of sense of, you know, what good can religion possibly do? You know, think of John Lennon's classic song, yes. Imagine. You yes. know, imagine the world without it without religion, without heaven, that kind of thing, and the idea that it would therefore be immediately peaceful and wonderful and, and utopia. Yeah. So I think what's interesting is lying behind a lot of atheists I meet there are emotional Arguments, because again, that's an emotional argument, not a not a rational one. Yeah. So I think what I'd say to people listening to this is every atheist is different. You know, so if somebody says to you they're an atheist or introduces themselves as one, I think there are two things you can ask. One is you can say, well, that's fascinating. Tell me, you know, tell me about the journey that you got that got you there. How did you arrive at that position? And try and find out their their personal story. And as you do, you know, try and sort of unpack what it is that's led them to that conclusion. And then interestingly, I think when someone says they're an atheist, you know, one of the things I like to do is respond and say, you know what, atheist tells me what you don't believe, mm. but what do you what believe? Do you tell believe. me what you're passionate about. Uh, because I don't believe in the tooth fairy, but I don't introduce myself to people as an a tooth fairy. Yes. That's not a thing I use to describe myself. It's very curious that you've used atheists to describe yourself, but you know, tell me about the things you're passionate about. And as you find out some of those, I think very often those will give you connections yeah uh, for the gospel once you know where people where where people's passion lies,
0: yeah, and uh, often in my experience, they'll say what why what kind of God they don't believe in, and my response is, Well, I don't believe in that God either, so their idea is very helpful, of, yeah, yeah. yeah
6: but find a way to connect someone very quickly to Jesus. Because that ultimately is what all these conversations are about. Isn't it? It's not about winning arguments. Yeah, absolutely. You want to, yeah, abs- to discover Christ.
0: Amen. So we're absolutely worried. It's about evangelizing in, in a way that's not uh, alienating. Thank you, Andy, for writing the book. Thank you for this conversation. Um, lots of good tips here. I'm sure people are going to be interested, and they're, they're going to flock the bookstores and get the book. Um, thank you so much.
6: Thanks for having me on the show. It's been great, t- great chatting with you.
0: Andy Bannister holds a Ph.D. in Islamic Studies from the London School of Theology and has taught in universities across the United States, Canada, and the U.K. His latest book is The Atheist Who Didn't Exist or Dreadful Consequences of Bad Arguments. It is published by Monarch Books. You can find out more at theatheistwhodidntexist.com. Here now is our featured Artist of the Week, Ed Bolduck with... A new song that he's written for the Year of Mercy, There's a Wideness in God's Mercy.
1: There's a wideness in God's mercy Like the wideness of the sea There's a kindness in God's justice Which is more than liberty There is plentiful redemption In the blood that has been shed, there is joy for all the members in the sorrows of
0: Ed Baldock with There's a Wideness in God's Mercy, which is a new song that he wrote for the Year of Mercy. Like many liturgical composers of today, Ed Baldock began writing liturgical music by writing music for the youth at his parish, for the Life Teen Mass. Ed is the composer of the popular Mass of St. Anne, and he's written many, many songs for liturgy. Ed has just written the new song that we just heard, there's a wideness in God's mercy to celebrate the year of mercy. And so I am very happy to welcome Ed Bolduck to our program today. Ed, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour.
7: Thank you so much. It's good to be here.
0: So so you just uh, before we went on, you said that Bolduck originally is a French Canadian name Bolduc. That's correct. Very cool. But so and you said you have relatives in in Canada.
7: I do have a few relatives in Canada and some in Michigan as well,
0: and they're French Canadians. They speak French.
7: That's, that was their origin. Yes.
0: Nice, nice, but you don't, you don't I, you I, get any of the French. Take
7: French in school, <laughs> um, but uh, I've lost a lot of it.
0: <laughs> right. Well, good, good. It's nice. to We'll, we'll make you an honorary Canadian <laughs> then. That's great. Um, do you? So, so you grew up? I guess you. You said you grew up in in Michigan. Um, what was it like growing up? Was it a Catholic family?
7: Yes, very much. Uh, I went to St. Aloysius Catholic School oh, yeah? in Michigan. And um, it was great. I mean, we moved we moved to Ohio and then I ended up going to St. Helen's Catholic uh-huh. School and until about 6th grade and then after that um, I was in public school after that.
0: That's very cool. We have a lot of listeners in Michigan and in Ohio. Um, wow. do you um, lots of brothers and sisters?
7: I have one sister.
0: Okay, good. And and so you went to Catholic school. Was it at home? Was it kind of very Catholic, or was it kind of lukewarm? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah?
7: My, both my parents' families were very Catholic, and so, you know, Mass was, was a regular weekly occurrence for us. Yeah. All the Holy Days, and um, I... I oh, Always enjoyed going to mass and listening to the music and singing, looking through the missalettes, and right. you know, always marveling at the songs that were in there. Never expecting that one day I might get something in that there.
0: you'll so, have your songs in cool. there. That that is. Yeah. I'm going to ask you about that too. But um, th- was it was it a musical household? Did you have to take piano lessons growing up? How was that?
7: Um, it was a musical household. My dad uh, actually played accordion very often, really? and I loved to, love to sit down and listen to him play. And uh, when I was 10 years old, when we were in Ohio, my parents just kind of threw the question out there, would you guys like to take piano lessons? And um, I'm like, yeah, okay. Huh. <laughs> and they bought a piano, and, and sure enough, uh, I loved it. Just fell in love with it and took private lessons for a while and went to school and you know, just kept playing every day.
0: Nice. And did you eventually play in church? As a teenager,
7: I did. Yeah. I did. When we moved to Georgia, I was uh-huh. fifteen. I joined. I joined the folk group. Right. And uh, that is where I really was. Um, I got to be a big part of the liturgy by playing. You know, at the eleven thirty mass on Sundays, and we did everything out of the blue Glory and praise books. I yes. Mean, that was. That's what we did. I learned them all, and it was just a wonderful experience. Wonderful group that I got to play with, and it was just great liturgy. People were singing, and it was. Very joy filled, and it was just a great time. It
0: was yeah. just a great
7: time and a great initiation for me into that.
0: So it sounds like you 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 had pretty good church experiences. You didn't go through a period of time of doubting or not wanting to go to church or anything like that.
7: Fortunately, no. Um, I've, really? I've always had a great church experience. My family has always been, um, you know, uh, very devoted Catholics, and I've always been. I've always found myself in a community that's very strong and very welcoming and. And uh, I've always wanted to be part of it. So, uh-huh. yeah, it's always been a great thing.
0: So at that parish once in Georgia, that's where you joined—did you join Life Teen as a, as a teen?
7: Actually, I was, in, I was going to college, and the okay. music director at the time um, was looking for a music person to lead music at the 6 p.m. mass. And she knew that I was Catholic. She knew okay. um, that I did contemporary music, so she
0: asked me. So that was in college?
7: Yeah, it was, it was 1992,
0: I believe. Right. So then you were doing music for Life Teen, and is was that the first time that you started writing music, or had you been writing music all along?
7: Well, that was the first time I started writing music for the church,
2: uh-huh.
0: um,
7: anything religious. Really? Uh, it was we. You know, there was so much... Uh, there, was, there wasn't a lot of contemporary um, liturgical music out there, aside from no. what was in glory oh, and glory praise.
0: glory and praise, yeah, that's true. And
7: not like today, where it seems like every... 15 minutes, there's a new song released, you yes. know, yes. and there's so many good songs that are released, so there was a time when we, you know, there wasn't a whole lot to draw from, and so I just started writing things to to fill out the liturgy and, and you know, doing what I could and uh, trying to make the best decisions I could make on the music, and, and uh, it's you know, it just kind of went from there.
0: Did you feel, though, when you started doing liturgical composing that 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 was kind of like wow, your calling fulfilled, that that's what you were being asked to do. Does that make sense?
7: You know what, I would, I would have to say absolutely, because the first time that I heard an assembly sing a melody that I wrote yes. was the most powerful thing. Um, I just felt honored to be, to be even a small part of that. Yes. Um, you know, having grown up in church and, and singing all the hymns in, in, the, in the books, for years and years and years, and suddenly I wrote something Now everyone out there is singing, and it was just so powerful to me Yes. that um, I just felt like, wow, I'm home. This is where I want to be.
0: Right, right. So then you began, can I say, a career in liturgical composing? I uh-huh. guess
7: so. I mean, uh, you could say that. Um, I, I I hadn't worked full—I wasn't working full-time for the Church, uh-huh. you know, at that point. I was just leading music at one Mass um, and working in, in the youth ministry and helping there uh but that's when it all started you know and, and i would just write a, you know write a song for this occasion and write a song for this part of the mass and as i said before you know some of them you know lasted and some of them just kind of went yeah. you know by the wayside yeah and the ones that lasted eventually people said hey can i get a copy of that and i would give them a copy of it And then we started making a cd and, and then it just kind of you know went from there there was no ever set plan like okay, now I'm going to do this and this is going to be what I do. It just kind of grew
0: on its own. So correct me if I'm wrong, but the last big project that you did was the hymns, uh, I guess, collection. The the hymns 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 collection. So you you took traditional hymns, Mm -hmm. um, and I use the word hymns, I don't mean, you know, how great thou art, but I mean, you know, I guess glory and praise are also hymns. Um, And you've contemporized them? Why did you want to do that? Or well, giving them a contemporary
7: feel? I looked at some of the hymn texts, and uh, it was just something I was just... I think at first I was just trying to do something different. Yeah. Um, you know, and there's some really beautiful texts out there.
0: Yes, there are. And
7: uh, one of the first ones I looked at was, um, I heard the voice of Jesus say. And I opened up the hymnal and just kind of ignored the notes and looked at the lyrics and just started playing my own accompaniment and my okay. own... Melody, and um, it just kind of uh, it just kind of grew in me. I was like, "Wow, this is really this is really interesting. This is really fun. This is really moving." And, and so I just said, "Well, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to do this and, and do my own musical setting of these yeah. texts." And then in a few cases, I added a refrain or added a bridge um, along the same lines. Uh-huh. And so it kind of I guess it was my way of um, just giving a new approach to those texts and breathing some different life. Yeah. Stuff. You know, nothing against though. They're they're beautiful as they are. I just wanted to do something different.
0: Yeah. No. Yeah. Breathing new life in them, I think, is, is a good way to put it. Um, the song that we heard just before the interview, "There's a wideness in God's mercy," you wrote yes. because I guess you were inspired, or you uh, because of the upcoming uh, jubilee year of mercy. Tell me about that, and and sort of why you wanted to write a song, and how this idea of mercy inspires you.
7: Well, um, honestly. Mary Beth Anderson at, at uh, World Library yeah. called me and said that the managers and editors had gotten together and they decided, you know, we'd like to um, ask you to write a setting of There's a Wideness in God's Mercy, much like you did with the hymns album. Yeah. So they, World Library actually approached me on the idea. Okay, And, you know, asked me, to, you know, think about it, pray about it, see if you want to do that. And so I looked over the text and I was like, this is great. And um, it was one of those things where I would just kinda of turn on the voice memo on my phone when I was, you know, in the car and just sing, you know, a melody to the lyric and, right. and finding something. And I you know, I kinda of worked on the melody for the verse quite a bit. Um and I th- I thought the text was just beautiful. There's a wideness in God's mercy, which is why that opening line
2: mm-hmm. you know
7: has that uh interval jump. There's a wideness in and mm-hmm. trying to really emphasize the text, especially on that first verse.
2: Get yeah. it was
7: just right. And then, you know, I wanted to take that and turn it around. And, you know, I added a refrain that's sort of, it echoes that first verse, but it's a call to us to imitate, to try to imitate that mercy of God. So, let there be a wideness in our mercy. Um, it starts out, be merciful just as our God is merciful. Let there be a wideness in our mercy. Let there be a kindness in our hearts. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's how that song came to life, and um, it, it, was just really, it was really a joy to be part of that, and um, to... To take that, those lyrics and, and add my own music to it.
0: Mm-hmm. It's really interesting that you're, you're it, it, in musically, not just lyrically, but musically, you're also, there's a theology there. Um, and of course, a prayer. That, you know, we can be wide with God's mercy. I love that. But mm-hmm. we, we can't be wide with, with being just. God can be widely just, but we can't, but we can be widely merciful. Um, We can drive. Yeah, we can drive. We have (laughs) to. Um, Ed, that's all the time we have, but it's been a real pleasure meeting you, and I I love your music. I've been listening to your music for a while now, and and, uh, thank you for breathing new life into some of those old hymns.
7: Well, thank you so much for having me.
0: You can learn more about Ed Balduck at his website, edbalduckmusic.com. That's Balduck, B-O-L-D-U-C, or Bolduc, Bolduc in French, edbalduckmusic.com. We're going to put that link on our site so you can find it easily. And all his music is published by World Library Publications. Here now is Ed Balduck with Rock of Faith from his album, Awake to the Day. Faith from his album "Awake to the Day," and that will take us to the end of the program. Remember that if you tuned in late, you can stream or podcast all our Salt and Light Hour programs for free at slash radio and that's also where you can listen to uninterrupted music all day long on our four online radio stations, which are made possible thanks to the wonderful support from all our featured artists and their publishers. So go to our website TV.org and learn how you can listen to online or on the go on your mobile devices remember that you can always reach me through Facebook or Twitter just look for Deacon Pedro let me know what you think of what you hear on this show you can also reach us now by sending a direct voice message through our website very cool just go to saltandlighttv.org slash radio and try it out thank you for your generosity for your prayers this program is completely free thanks to your donations so why don't you consider becoming a monthly donor and help keep this program and all our Salt and Light Hour programs on the air. Thank you, thank you for considering us when you're making your charitable contributions. I'm and Pedro, and this has been the Salt and Light Hour.
1: I'm doing everything I can, I'm doing everything I can With every little act of love, I know I want to